Welcome to Secret Sauce for Success, show number 23. Hi everybody, you have tuned in to the Secret Sauce for Success show where we strive to find the secret ingredients that lead to success. We interview successful guests every week and learn their secret to their success. We sincerely hope you implement these habits into your life and become the best you that you can be. Enjoy the show. What's going on, everybody? It's Rick Stahl, host of the Secret Sauce for Success show, live from Colorado, here with my co-host, Doug Kirstein. What is going on, Doug? Hey, Rick. It's good to see you again. Yeah, it's been a busy couple of weeks since we last talked. Lots going on in the uh, economy, lots going on in just life in general, so it's good. Yeah, that was really good. The story summary that you gave us last time on the whole economic front, I learned a lot there. Good. It's a, a fascinating subject. I've always loved economics. And, and when I was in college, my brother gave me the advice that I should take classes that sound interesting to me. Problem is, I think everything is interesting. So I ended up with three degrees and two minors and, and double the number of credits that a person needs to graduate. <laughs> All this from a guy who doesn't really like school. So, you know, that was kind of a weird thing for me to do. But I fell in love with economics immediately and I just understood it. In fact, I would sit in classes and the teacher would be going over something and I'd think, oh, but this is what he's going to say next. And sure enough, almost verbatim, that's what they would say next. So it really makes a lot of sense to me. Uh, and when I see the things that are going on in, in our economy and the things that are being talked about, I just wonder how people who are so economically illiterate can be in charge. Right. Yep. It's always a reaction for every action or something, right? Absolutely right. So it's kind of fun to do that. And it's really fun to take that information and apply it to investments and apply it to whether that's real estate or, or stock market or whatever it might be. Yeah. Speaking yeah. of real estate, speaking of investments, can you give us an update on the fix and flip? Yeah, we got all the tear out done and the walls uh, taken care of. We had wallpaper in one room that was on all four walls and the ceiling and uh, they had painted over it and it was really difficult to get off. So that took a lot of extra time. You never know what you're going to run into in these places, you know. But uh, fortunately, it's a small house, so the, the teardown was pretty minimal, and the, uh, the amount of plaster work and that, that had to be done on the walls was pretty minimal. So that was pretty easy to get done. Now we're ready to move on to painting, which should be done this week. Uh, I'll talk to the contractors tomorrow and kind of see where we are on that. And then uh, moving on to the floors and the, the kitchen and the appliances and getting the bathroom finished up. But I think you know we're probably looking at a late August to early September completion on this thing. And one of the things that I always struggle with is the budget, right? I've always underestimated the budget cost by two to one, right? I come in, oh, I'll need 50K. Well, it turns out to be almost 100K, you know? I, so how are we doing on this one? Pretty good. We're running a little hot, you know? I think that that's sort of the way it is. But with the budget, we're about halfway through the budget. And I think we're about halfway through the process. So I don't think we're that far off. Very good. Hope it continues to go well. You and me both. <laughs> yeah. So what's going on with you, Rick? I understand that uh, you tried your hand as an author. Oh, I did. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's been so long ago. It was like over Christmas time. Yeah. I came up with Secret Sauce for Success book. Took a lot of what we learn here, uh, interviewing all the different people and just a lot of my own basic precepts about wealth generation, lined it out chapter by chapter well starts with your mind. And, you know, a lot of people don't feel like they're worthy to be wealthy. You need to get over that hurdle. If you work hard, you can build wealth. Rich dad, poor dad, right? Richard Kiyosaki, he 
you know, talks about the four quadrants for building wealth, you know, trading your time for money is the first one, right? Investing, letting your investments work, you know, like real estate, business, leveraging other people's effort to build a product. Can't remember the other one, the other quadrant. But you know, just different ways to generate wealth. I think I did a good job on the book. So check it out on Amazon, Secret Sauce for Success. I've been uh, reading through it a little bit myself. It's interesting. So I uh, have a lot on my plate right now, but I'm heading out to a vacation here next week. And I plan to stick it in my bag and, and read through it on, on my vacation. So I'll come back a wiser man. Thanks to you, Rick. Appreciate that. <laughs> Oh, I don't know. I think just being in Hawaii will make yourself wiser right there. <laughs> well, if I come back, I'll come back as a wiser man. Otherwise, I'll just send you a postcard. <laughs> That'd be nice. To do this from the islands. Tell me, Rick, I know you and I have been friends for a long time and you've been working a lot on, on moving into the investment world, buying real estate and that kind of thing. We've talked extensively in the past about anything from real estate, of course, to buying individual stocks and doing some day trading and that kind of thing. I'm interested in kind of how you as an engineer, which is a unique type of personality, right? How that kind of analytical personality, that kind of analytical thinking, how it applies itself really to the kind of unknowns of the investment world, the risk that's taken. Something I always wanted, but I was not sure how to get there. And I, you know, was very timid about trying to real estate. And the only reason I got into it was, Back in 2007, we had to move, you know, we had one kid, our little town home was getting too small and we went to sell it and we were going to lose like $10,000. They were going to move like a family of, you know, five into the place we were moving out. I was like, you know, I can do better than lose $10,000, right? I mean, there's no risk. Try this real estate thing. And I came up with my best case numbers. Everything I learned, everything I knew, I wrote it down. I had a five-year plan for the appreciation, the the equity buildup, whatever, whatever, you know, just kind of laid it out. And I kept that. And then as the years went by and, you know, we had great renters. So the renter aspect was good. I went back and looked at those numbers that I wrote down. Best case, we like tripled them. And uh, that sold me right there. So it was the good tenants and we totally crushed the numbers. And I was like, okay, so the risk isn't as bad as I thought. And that warmed me up to trying it again. Interesting. You had that engineering approach where you had everything worked out in the forecasts, but the way things actually worked out kind of blew your expectations out of the water. Yeah. I know we're trying to fix and flip and that's not my normal forte, but the numbers should work the same for a short-term return. But the buy and hold, you know, you get more tax advantages. Right. I guess the surprising thing is all the tax advantages that are waiting for you. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of incentive. The government is interesting in the way that it puts things together and that they use the tax code to incentivize people to do things. And one of those things is to buy homes and, and to own real estate as a uh, matter of building wealth, which is another way that the government then taxes us, right? So there's some benefit to them. But uh, yeah, the tax breaks that they can give you uh, in doing so or maybe make that a more attractive investment than some others. Yeah, I was listening to the Bigger Pockets podcast, the advisor from Rich Dad Poor Dad on there, the tax advisor. And he was just talking about, instead of being a silent partner paying your taxes, why don't be an active partner with the government? And you know they incentivize stuff. So learn what they're incentivizing and work with them. Right. Why not? So that's a, a really interesting point because early on in my investing career, and as I thought about, buying real estate or doing any number of different business ventures, one of the, the key tenets that I came up with was this idea of looking at all of the people 
who are stakeholders in that venture, whatever that role is. And if it's buying real estate, for example, it would be obviously the buyer and the seller. Those are the people we think about, but it's the realtors who, who represent them. It's the title company that's involved. It's anybody else who might be there. It's the government as far as taxes are concerned, all that kind of stuff. How do those people play in? How do those roles play a part in that? And how can you use those to benefit you or to make deals work better? To take on your realtor and have them be a partner for you and reinvest their commissions or something as opposed to having to pay them out, right? Those kinds of things. So it's really interesting that the tax advisor on, on Rich Dad Poor Dad, is, Poor Dad is following my lead. I really think that's really, uh, really good of him to do that. Did he mention my name at all when he talked about that? I think he did. I think he oh, did. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I also want to mention that, you know, we're trying to read books more, right? Readers uh -huh. are leaders, leaders are readers, whatever. Went to the library. So a lot of good books at the library. So go out to your library and get some good business books or real estate books. But this one was called Buy the Avocado Toast. And it's a story about this gal, Stephanie, who went for film major, which she loved. It was her passion. But then she came out with like, $250,000 in debt, you know, from the really expensive schools. And she ended up taking this job overseas and working for, again, for hardly anything on an internship and just struggling. But she saw all these well-to-do wealthy people just skating above the fray. And, and eventually <clears throat> she got a job working as like a investment intern or and worked her way up from there and and worked her way into a really good job and and she was amazed and she wrote a lot of the chapters on this book or the difference the contrast between how a rich or a wealthy person thinks versus how a starving actor or starving film major thinks and the film major people were willing to donate their time while the, the wealthy person is like, I'm not donating my time because my time is worth something. And, and they were just saying, if you start out low, giving your time away, it's going to take you a lot longer to get to the top. And anyhow, she just went through a lot of contrasts about the wealthy and the non-wealthy. And, you know, the wealthy people buy the avocado toast, right? And they network and they, you know, so it's really interesting how she came around to the shift in her mind. Interesting. So, yeah, it's a good book. Interesting. Yeah. My eyesight's so bad, it's hard for me to read sometimes. So I, I invested in Audible. Oh, so okay. To get some books, you can go on there. That's another way to do things. For those of us who have poor eyesight or just a busy schedule, you know, Audible, I think, is a good way to go as well. I've heard a lot of good things about it. So I'm trying my hand or ear at that as it were. Very good. So, yeah, good. So I'll have to look up by the avocado toast. I think that, uh, you know, any kind of investment is great. And not to kind of trap backtrack here a little bit, but... Uh, Wanted to just add that as we kind of wrap up our, get close to the end of our flip here, we're looking for another one too. So I think we've kind of got the flipping bug. So we'll see if we can do well on this one and then pick up another one and, and make a go of it. Yeah, absolutely. I think it'll be good. Yeah. Yeah. And Pueblo's, you know, not really expensive. So, you know, your money goes a lot further down there. That's right. That's right. Yeah. You I mean, your returns are percentage wise, I think as good as they are anywhere else, but dollar wise, a little smaller, but still that means that you can, get deals done as opposed to uh, just sitting on the sidelines with the ridiculous prices up here in Denver. So yeah, oh. yeah, it's good. It's good. So uh, today's podcast guest, or it's actually a continuation from last week's Tom Kelsey, uh, Mr. Home Inspector. 
Yeah, I really liked him. Very interesting man. I love the fact that he's a home inspector, but he's a businessman and a member of the community. And he does all these different things that I think are really interesting. And the way he looks at his business and how he serves his clients, I also thought was kind of a cut above uh, what I normally would expect. Uh, so he had some good insights and some things I really enjoyed uh, hearing. So uh, be fun to see what people think of the second half of his interview. Yep. All right. Without any further ado, let's get to second half of the interview with Tom Kelsey. All right. Now you had to get your license to become a home inspector, correct? No. So in Colorado, you do not have to be licensed. Okay. Do you have to take um, any continuing education classes or anything? No. No. It's (laughs) So this is the interesting thing in Colorado. There's no licensureship at all for becoming a home inspector. Wow. Now, what I tell my clients is you should be hiring somebody who follows a standard of practice. And there are two really popular, I would say, dominant associations out there. ASHI at InterNACHI, the American Association of Home Inspectors and the International. But they both train to standards of practice. And those standards of practice really are a minimum standard that every home inspector should be following. So when I'm out talking to agents and trying to build a relationship with them about how I do my work, I, want, I always want to make sure they know and understand that I follow the InterNACHI standard of practice. For a couple of reasons. One, I, I want them to know what are the things that I'm just not going to do. If I get to an electrical panel and it is wet or rusting, I, I'm probably not going to touch it. If it's snowing, I'm probably not getting on the roof. Both InterNACHI and ASHI, as their standards of practices, they say that a home inspector does not have to get on the roof. He has to examine the roof whether it's with binoculars. For my company, we use drones. I just did a tile roof last week. I am not going to put myself in a position of breaking somebody's tile roof by walking around on that thing. Right. Um, But I want the people that I'm working with to understand what my limits are. What am I not going to do? That the last thing I want is to argue with a realtor in front of a client, or I want the realtor to have my back if the client thinks that I should be doing something that I perceive as dangerous or are not within the standards of practice. Right. You know, the polybutylene. I think people miss that most when there's a basement that's completely finished. And really you're seeing the water line or when there's mixed line, somebody came and replaced part of it, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I need people to know that I'm going to do the best to tell you what I could and couldn't see in that house. And that, you know, in this case, most of the water line was concealed. The only place I saw the water line was at the water heater. Right. Yeah, it is a very interesting situation here in Colorado where we have essentially, it's the Wild West. People can essentially buy a ladder and a flashlight and call themselves a home inspector. But I think it is super important that people who do claim to be home inspectors actually belong to one of these organizations, have a standard. For me as a home inspector, the one thing that when I'm talking about how I do a home inspection, I do it the exact same way every time. If somebody called me six months from now and said, hey, when you were there, did you check this? All I could say is, yep, because I always check that. And that's the way I do my home inspection. And and I do that for me. I do it for the customer and, and I do it for my agent so they know 
exactly what to expect that way. So why did you become a home inspector in the first place? I had a long career in sales and marketing. Started investing in Denver real estate, you know, 20, almost 25 years ago. Worked in the ski industry of all things. Hmm. Had a fabulous career. But at the end, I did not want to sit at a desk anymore. You know, I thought about what I was going to do with the rest of my life or the end of my career. And, you know, there's something about houses and being in real estate and always trying to understand like how things are put together and why somebody did this or that. I'm pretty happy at the end of the day when a first time home buyer and I can tell them a little story about their house that nobody else knows because I got up on the roof because I got in because I went down in the basement and put that whole thing together for them. I think it's a pretty uh, special thing. Sometimes my wife tells me that I have no feeling for our house because I think of myself as that investor. But, but I do have a special relationship with every house I've ever owned. I also, as an investor, I've been in so many properties that people have just not taken care of. That, you know, one of the things that we do at our company is we give every homeowner a portal we create a cloud account for them that allows them to have a home information center so they can store everything from the finishes in their house so when they go to the home depot and they buy a particular paint they can store that in there they can access it from their phone they can go to lowe's two years later and be like wait a minute it's my furnace filter 16 by 24 or uh, 24 by 30 they can take videos of their house store it there. They can put in all their appliances so they get all the recall notices for all their equipment. It has all these opt-ins. So they can be reminded when to change their air filter. They can be reminded to clean the gutters in the fall. But it can also remind them that, hey, this is the year your dishwasher is actually at the end of its designed life. I, I don't think about that. But like, what a cool tool for a homeowner to be thinking about like, hey, there's these great big systems in my house. I might have to replace my furnace next year. And today that's a $16,000 investment to replace a furnace with a new high-end, high-quality unit. And I feel great about helping people through that journey. Right. Well, that's kind of neat. I like that portal thing. Yeah, I agree. You started investing, you said, what, 25 years ago here in Denver? Yeah. So tell us a little bit about your getting into real estate. How did you come into to real estate investment? So I moved to Denver I was living up in the mountains, working on a dude ranch, skiing in the winter, riding horses in the summer. I was compelled to move to Denver to get my MBA. So I was going to school at night, working at the Brown Palace. Back then, you could buy a house in downtown Denver cheaper than rent. And that's what I did. And I moved a buddy into the second bedroom. And about a year later, I was like, wait a minute, he's paying the rent. I need to move somebody into this room and go buy another house. Uh, I got the bug. But I actually put a three-bedroom this time. And I did. And life happened. And we collected another one here and got another one there. And it wasn't probably for like 10 more years that somebody was like, oh, well, you are in real estate. I'm like, no, I'm not. I didn't think of myself as that. You know, they just... These were opportunities that I just couldn't pass up because like now they have these whole groups of people that meet and talk about like, how do I buy a house and move somebody into the other bedroom and they're house hackers. And I was like, well, I, I guess that was me. 
it, it just seemed like the smart thing to do at the time. But over that time, I then moved into doing some flips and I got caught in 2008 in a terrible situation. Oh boy. Uh, uh, you know, in the end, it wasn't, it wasn't terrible. <laughs> it felt like it because everything I had done, the majority of them had been buy and holds. And then I did a couple of flips and this guy that lived upstairs from my girlfriend who I met through, you know, just hanging out at the local pub says, Hey, you know, I want to do this. I, we should, we should do this. And I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I, I go to work during the day and I do this at night. So he showed up again one night and said, Hey, I found a place. <laughs> I, found a, I said, well, well, great. Let's check it out. It, it seemed great. So we got the flip about 90% done and we had started bringing in buyers and we had the first home inspection. And of course the foundation was cracked and why in the world I didn't go down there and look at the damn foundation myself still just doesn't, it doesn't connect to me to this day, Um, but it is one of the reasons that I love being a home inspector because I know I made that dumb mistake. So we ended up sitting on this property and I'm sure your audience knows when you've got a hard money project and you're paying way more than market value rent, and you're trying to get the foundation fixed and nobody can be there for six weeks. Right. Pretty stressful. Well, then I found out that the person I was in business with, his girlfriend had also fronted his half. So I ended up with an additional partner I didn't realize I had. They end up in a, uh, a spat where they're now breaking up. We're trying to get rid of this place and the market is sinking oh, faster no. than... And I am just like, oh my God, well, how did I get in this situation? And then I think to myself, today, I would have kept it. Today, I would have said, fine, we'll just rent this thing. We put good money into this thing. It looks great. It's the best house on the block. Let's rent it and we'll ride this thing out. But back then, I didn't know that. And I think that's what's great about your guys' podcast and going out and meeting people and talking to other investors because there's more than one way to skin a cat and... I learned the hard way. And as my mother always says, education is expensive, no matter how you pay for it. Right. That was some education for this guy. So, so did you end up selling it at a loss? We ended up selling it at a loss. A three-way deal wasn't that bad. Denver's been good to me over the years, but I, I just, I never, I never thought I would take a lump like that. Right. Right. That was scary times. I remember. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's like any other investment, you know, you buy it. Sometimes the market's kind to you and sometimes not so much. Yeah. Uh, I'm in the investment world and I have a lot of clients who are not happy with their investments right now. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. So I, I just don't look. Right. <laughs> well, if you're more than five or six years out of retirement, you probably don't need to be losing a lot of sleep over it. But those people who are thinking two years from now, next year, whatever, yeah. that's not good. So you have these, do you just have the five rental properties? You said you have five. Yeah. Are you still doing flips at all? No, that cured me of that. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of hard to watch it taste like that out of your mouth, right? Well, well, you know, it was one of those things that I, I think around the time that I, I felt like I wanted to do that again, the market here got so hot. The thing about like the flips that I did, I was, I, I never, I never quit my job. Like I would literally 
take off my coat and tie and hang it up in the front closet and change in my coveralls and work all night long. And, you know, we, we were the bootstrap young guys out there doing it. And as I've gotten older, I was like, I don't know that I want to do that. And when I was trying to figure out, you know, over the kind of the last 10 years, it's been a tough market for me to figure out how to make money, especially when we got, you know, the last five years where you're getting outbid by 80 grand on, yeah. you know, my, my whole thing with the flips was I wanted to buy a property that I could add value, you know, add a bathroom easily, add a bedroom easily, add, you know, whatever that value is. I didn't want to just repaint and put in new cabinets, right? I wanted to add value and I, I couldn't figure out how to do it. There were probably people that had better foresight than I did. Cause I was always like, oh, this thing's bound, <laughs> bound to turn any minute now. And it probably would have been fine, but I'm more of a buy and hold guy. Yeah. Are you a single family residence man or do you have some uh, multi-unit properties. Everything's single family except for uh, the building I'm sitting in. This is the carriage house behind my house that we Airbnb once in a while. And so that that was a hot business pre-pandemic when the convention center was rocking. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know if we'll ever see the rates like we saw back then, but maybe some. Interest rates are really causing an issue, but they need to do something to slow down the inflation, right? Yeah, for sure. Right. So what's next? Do you have uh, plans for more rental properties or are you kind of happy where you are? What's next? You know, I actually feel like it depends on what happens with the rates. (laughs) Right. I feel like even with higher interest rates, you can get better value right now. What the last few years did to me is I I couldn't sit down and create a spreadsheet and make numbers work. Because when you went into bid, like nothing came out the way you thought it was going to. Right. I think now, if you have faith that these rental rates are going to stay where they're at, which I, I don't have any reason to believe they're not, um, you can at least go in and like have a good predictor of where you're going to be. I kind of feel like there's a glut of condominium properties coming on, so I'm kind of interested to see where you know what happens. To that secondary market we had stuff that was built 10 years ago that's not nice and shiny anymore right. and i kind of want to keep my eye on those products and see maybe there's some things out there that might be in the range that i want them to be in. well i think gone are the days too of getting outbid like you said by eighty thousand dollars because the interest rates just get a lot of those people out of the market so the fewer buyers you have the more reasonable and stable prices become so i think yeah you'll start to see some some balance out there. I'm with you. I think it'll be interesting to see what some of those older properties and some of these track type properties, what they're doing. Let's take a break and hear a word from our sponsor. Here at Stahl Realty, you are number one. I'm a realtor with HomeSmart and my job is to make sure you are satisfied. Here is what one satisfied client of Stahl Realty had to say. Rick Stahl was an awesome asset in helping our family find a home that checks all our boxes. He is patient and committed. I would recommend calling upon his services. One of my favorite mottos is making milestones memorable. Buying or selling a house can be overwhelming, but with my guidance and expertise, I can make this process as smooth as possible. I can be reached via email at stylerealty at gmail.com or text call me at 
3303. I look forward to hearing from you. And now back to our show. As far as uh, any other hobbies or interests and things like that, that kind of pull you away from mm. doing some of this real estate work? Good, good question. I, I do love to get out and do some skiing. So I do love when a nice client that calls me and asks me to go to Vail or to Breckenridge. Mm. Sure. Inspection in the morning, ski in the afternoon. I'm, I'm okay with that. <laughs> it's good to be the boss, right? That's right. <laughs> So where do you go for inspiration for growth? I, you, you don't have to do kind of ongoing education and things like that as mandated by the state, but uh, as a, a person of general interest, what do you like to listen to? Podcasts? What kinds of yes, I do a ton of podcasts. I am really interested in growing the environmental testing side of my business. Still think that there's going to be a lot of interest in people improving the efficiency of their home. So I'm really interested in blower door tests, taking out the infrared camera, helping people figure out how to make their homes more efficient. And I I think as we move into the next 10 years, that's going to be a really growth side of the business. Right. The energy costs. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. So I really love to figure out how to how to take a customer from the home inspection today to making sure the environment of their home is the way they want it when they move in to making sure that the house is as efficient as they want it in three to five years, right? And and really becoming a trusted advisor for those homeowners. You know, there's so much housing stock here in Denver that needs improvement. You know, we talk about 2008, but like leading up to that, there was this like property ladder mentality where people were moving every two or three or five years and they just weren't taking care of their houses, right? Because it was like a throwaway property because I'm just trying to move up that ladder. It's right. a completely different mentality right now with buyers. They want to buy houses they want to stay in. They're willing to overpay to do that. And everybody's watched 10,000 hours of HGTV and feel like they know how to fix a house. What do you think about things like putting solar panels on a house and that sort of thing? Is that technology where where it should be? Or is there still a long way to go before people should seriously start looking at that? Yeah, I, I, I can't call myself an expert in this field by any stretch of the imagination. But I hope there's a long way to go. I have a lot of passion for houses being beautiful and a big house with a big, ugly solar panel on it's not always beautiful. Right. But the dream or the vision of, I'm totally blanking on the company that just introduced the, uh, the solar shingle that they can actually put fasteners through. Tesla roof, one in my neighborhood this year. I I think that's going to be the the thing is trying to figure out how to keep these things from being big, ugly eyesores. And I guess people that live in, you know, these new developments where everybody's got one, it probably doesn't stand out. Right. Don't always look great. Right. Yeah. So do you do any books? Do you read books or anything interesting? I do. The book I'm reading right now is Profit First. Really interesting, no matter what kind of business you're in. So, So their premise is that growing bigger is not always better, but growing more profitable is. The problem with books on tablets is you never know who the author is. It is a really interesting book on on how to set up your accounting so that you always know that you're making profit, so that you you have profit centers in your business. So it's a fantastic read. I think you know, like my my favorite personal growth book is 
True North. It's kind of a hot book probably five years ago. Kind of exploring the like, what really makes you happy. I think home inspections for me is part of my True North. Like, you know, there was a hot minute there where I thought I wanted to be a realtor. And then my wife told me there was no way I was spending all day Saturday and Sunday with other people. You know, the opportunity to to help people out and to have a, a mission of serving people really, really excites me. And, you know, a place satisfy my appetite to like not have to sit at a computer. I discovered finding my true north. I like it. I like it. Yeah. Not to, uh, not to take a step back, but uh, you mentioned you like podcasts. Do you have any in particular that you enjoy tuning into? Mm-hmm. So I've been really addicted to this home inspection podcast. <laughs> which is kind of, it's a very narrow band but it is just this guy in uh, texas his father ran a company a home inspection company he runs a home inspection company and he actually just invites people on and tries to help them fix their business for me i don't necessarily know that i need somebody to fix my business but just to hear other people and how they approach their business and how they approach their customer service is what I really like about it. And I think that's the great thing about podcasts is everybody's got one, even you guys. And, right. and there <laughs> you can find a niche for everything. Right. I, I listen to, um, I don't even know the name of it, Marketplace on NPR every day. That is my one of my true addictions. Huh. It's a very uh, digestible way to understand what's happening in the markets. Previously, you mentioned that property manager, your own rentals. Yeah. And you have five of them going. Yeah. And how, how is that going? It, it depends on how well I picked my tenants. Right. That's the key. <laughs> <laughs> That's the key. Sometimes I like to think that, that I pick them. Sometimes they pick me, I guess. I guess I take the approach that I'm picking them. And, and I have learned some amazing things listening to podcasts about how to be a better uh, landlord and how to develop that relationship. I think that's one of the big things for me is when I was doing a nine to five job and trying to flip houses and manage, like, like I didn't ever create relationships with my tenants and I didn't set expectations for them. And now I try to really make sure out front that there's these expectations. It is amazing the difference in the way we work together as opposed to this, uh, my landlord only calls me when the rent's late. My landlord never stops by to ask how things are going. It's just amazing how you can really create a, a, a true business relationship with your tenant if you work at it. Give me an example of setting the expectation. I have a handbook for every house. You know, we talk about, you know, my expectation is that I'm providing a beautiful landscape for you. And my hope is that the landscape looks this good or better when you move out. So you just say that while you're walking them through for the check-in. I say it out loud. And it is amazing the difference in how people treat that when they have some ownership of it. My expectation is that, 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 that and, and your expectation should be that if the, I don't know, the disposer goes out on a Thursday, that even if I'm out of town, I will figure out a way to get a new garbage disposer installed in four days. 
and you know what, what whatever the the condition is is that i'm going to work very hard to get the problem solved for that i expect rent to be paid on time and i expect all those kind of things it probably takes a good 10 years of being a landlord to figure some of that out right I have never said that. So we have some properties and I like that. I I try to say that, but I don't think I've ever been so concise like that. You know, as a landlord, right? And so I've heard different podcasts where they make up like an invisible landlord. So the person doesn't have to be like feel responsible for raising the rent. And, And it could be my own fault here, right? So I'm like you. I have a personal relationship with the tenants. I, I love my tenants. I think I handpicked them kind of like you did. And they're wonderful people. I mean, I just picked up my forerunner from a, one of my tenants to fix my car. And yeah. I, I'm invested in these people because they're responsible for a big part of my portfolio, right? Each one of them. I love the relationship thing. But I also feel like th- this is my weak point here is I'm having a hard time raising rent as much as I should. Because there is no invisible barrier, a little frustrated sometimes. Yeah. So it, it took me a while. I, I feel like I missed the early acceleration in Denver of rent raising. Uh, somebody somewhere said, oh, well, just you know, write it in your lease. You intend to raise it every year 4 to 8%. And say that out loud. You're getting ready to sign your lease. Like, hey, I just need you to know that you know, this is how we continue it. And I, I could raise it this much. And as long as you're giving them that high number that you really don't intend to, to hit, right? I think it's fair. I like it. You know, I, I think, you know, one, again, going back to those costly mistakes, I actually rented to some friends once. That was a nightmare. Yeah. So, so you do have to have those boundaries, right? Yeah, the, the, the friend rental thing just did not. <laughs> it, it was bad. <laughs> just being human to people and making sure that they recognize that this is your business. I think that's the other thing, right? Is this is my business. It's not this thing that I just have because I lucked into, I didn't inherit this house. You now were paying me rent on. I had to go work for it. I had to get it. It is an asset. It's my business. I, I also went through this situation where I had a renter who lived there. I think she lived there for 12 years. Right. We knew we had a problem when, we had had to replace a deck and I had gone out and talked to a bunch of painters. Wood decks are terrible. Staining it a dark color will actually help protect it. And went through all this, like why that is. And we went about painting it. And this tenant came home. She was gone that first night, came back and she threw a fit because emotionally it was her house. She'd lived there for 12 years and she couldn't believe that I was painting this terrible color on her house and that I didn't talk to her about it. And I was like, oh, this is this is the end. Like, as much as I would love to have this person stay here forever, because she's put up with all the rate increases. She's done an amazing job with the, with the yard and, and the flowers are beautiful in that place. But once she thought it was hers emotionally, like, I was like, I got to figure out how to get rid of her. Move the relationship back to a place where we were all happy. Because once she took that like emotional hold of it, I just I felt like I was never get it back. When the tenant moves out and I get to get it for a day or a week, whatever, I'm like, oh yeah, it's fine again. I forgot about that. You know, <laughs> it's, yeah, it's really an interesting dynamic. Yeah, 
Well, I, I always find it fascinating because I do. I also meet these people who have like twenty five houses, and they're like, I haven't been in any of them in twenty years. So I'm like, oh, okay, well, that's it's also an interesting take. Doug, do you got any last questions for Tom here? No, I appreciate your time, Tom. It's yeah. been very interesting. Yeah, this has been fun. Yeah, it has. Yeah, very, very. You have a lot of insight, a lot of experience. Thank you. I found uh, the analysis that you did on uh, the home inspections and some of that nuance to be really fascinating because the yeah. home inspection, I always wondered how in depth do people go on that? I've had a few home inspections done, kind of read through them and look at it, but it seems fairly fluffy. Kind of wonder about that. It's interesting because there's probably 20 lines in a home inspection that are in every one, right? And they're like the the BYA, the covering my ass mm-hmm. lines. So if you have like a house that doesn't have much else to comment on, like I can believe that it seems really fluffy because those are a bunch of fluffy things. But on the other hand, you know, you get into a you know 1945 over an Aurora that hasn't been well taken care of, like you don't even notice that stuff because you got a lot of other stuff to worry about. Right. Uh, I would tell any realtor or anybody that invests, have a, a great conversation with your home inspector about what they do or how they do it. And, and as importantly, like what guidelines they follow can teach you a lot about what to expect from them. And right. I, I know people who have hired home inspectors who hand them three pages and six pictures and say, yep, it's all good. And Fortunately or unfortunately, that's the way things can roll here in Colorado. Right. But I think that uh, there are some really great home inspectors out there who really care about providing people really great information. And this is a business that's introduced a lot of technology in the last 10 years. I could do a whole hour on infrared cameras. So it really does sound like you care. You know, you're one of the people that care about your job. Yeah. So how can the, our listeners get a hold of you? Housemaster Home Inspections. You can find us at housemaster.com, 720-295-2065. You can also look for us on Facebook, um, LinkedIn. I'd like to feel like I post some pretty interesting articles on both LinkedIn and Facebook about home inspections and about different areas of the home inspection um, I think yesterday I posted a, a nice article on sewer inspections, sewer line inspections, and why why would you want to do that? What the downfall of not doing it is. Um, and again, that's another one that you could spend a lot of time. Uh, a sewer inspection can cost between $150 and $200, but replacing a line, 20 grand. I, I don't, you know, it, with today's inflation, I don't even know. It wouldn't surprise me that you could spend 30 grand on a sewer line replacement today. Yes. Right. <laughs> You know, it is a it is a dangerous game with those sewer lines out there, especially in our expandable soils here. Right. right. True. Well, thank you so much for your time tonight. You uh, bet. It's been really wonderful to get to know you. Awesome. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Yeah. Great having you. Thank you, Tom. Thanks. You bet. Man, that was another good interview. I don't know where all these people come from. <laughs> yeah, well, there's good people all over the place. I think you have to start kind of talking to people and you find all kinds of interesting folks, you know, I love, that's my favorite part of being in sales is uh, talking to these different people and finding out who they are. Yeah. My favorite part of the podcast too. Tom, what, what do you think? What, what did you learn? I actually learned a lot about the inspection process. You know, my, 
question to him about what's involved and, and what extra services do they offer. It's really interesting how he handles things. He kind of goes top to bottom and, and looks through everything in the plumbing and, and what they're really looking for. And then just a few of these extra little things like noticing, for example, that the kitchen floor has a small step up on it, which probably means that somebody linoleum floors over some sort of asbestos tile, right? So right. asbestos is not harmful for you if it's not floating around in the air. So you cover it up, you seal it up, you're probably okay. Well, that was interesting. I, I really learned a lot about that. He, he tries to do every inspection the same. I never thought of that. I was like, oh, of course. Why wouldn't you do exactly the same thing, right? So you don't right. miss anything. Right. And so somebody calls him up on the phone and says, hey, did you do this? And he doesn't know because he's done thousands of home inspections, but he does them all the same. He always does that. So the answer is very likely yes. So we're going with yes. Right. Know? Right. But that was really interesting. No, I, I really liked him. I thought he was a, a great guy, smart. Sounds like he's been around. His experience in getting into properties, you know, he says he has five of them now. He did a little bit of flipping. He hasn't done that in a while. Kind of got that bad taste in his mouth. That's right. But his stories, you know, about kind of the things they went through and the market fell out. It's like when it rains, it pours. You know, there's like all this stuff was going wrong. Buddy was breaking up with his girlfriend who lent him the money to get his part of the flip going. It's like, geez, really? I mean, come on. So yeah. I thought that was really kind of funny to listen to that. What, what stuck out to me was he realized that he could buy a house and pay less in mortgage than he could in rent. Seems like a smart thing to do. I sell, as you know, life insurance and investments and things like that. And I have lost more than my share of business to people who looked at a situation like that where I was offering something and it was clearly better than what they were going to get, but they kind of knew what they were getting on the other product where they, though I wasn't selling right as a mutual fund account or something like that. And so they went that direction. And in the long run, I'm sure it's hurt them because especially in an environment like we're in now, but to have somebody like Tom come and say, well, I didn't know anything about it, but I looked at this and I said, that makes sense to me. That seems like a smart thing to do. So we did it. And mm -hmm. here he is five properties later some flips and he's got a business and he's got income and he's got all these things that are going on in his life and you know he just made some good choices and was pragmatic about the whole thing and i think we often miss that as people yeah sometimes just the obvious solution is staring you in the face so why not do it it's too obvious too easy surely there's something wrong with it. i've been there more than my share of times and made the wrong decision so yeah yeah so yeah. anyhow i thought he was very good do you have a quote for the week or month? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Well, I think I have a quote for the season. Go, there you go. <laughs> is a, a better way to put it. We talked at the beginning of our podcast here today about the economy and how things are going and that. And Ronald Reagan has a great quote about recessions. He said, a recession is when a neighbor loses his job. A depression is when you lose yours. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think is, is fantastic. I love that quote. That guy had so many great quotes. But, but really, right now, you know, you're like, oh, you know, Mr. Neighbor over here lost his job. We must be in a recession. But man, when you lose your job, that's it. Right now, now, real. Gotta love Ronald Reagan. Yep. All right. Well, Doug, it's been great catching up. Great interview. Do you want to take us out of here? Thanks, everybody, for tuning in and listening to this podcast. We're grateful for you taking the time and listening to us. Uh, and hopefully you learn something. I mean, all of these things, these people that we interview, the point is to get some education, to throw out some 
maybe informal nugget of information. So something that maybe you hadn't thought of or in a way you hadn't thought of it. And uh, I think when we come across a guy like Tom, who, I mean, he has an MBA, but he's just a guy who's running a business and doing some things and has a good conscience about how to do things right for people. And I think that uh, that makes a lot of difference. And we heard a little bit about how he runs his business. So hopefully that helps you think about the things you're doing, gives you some insight as to how important that is. If you're thinking about buying a house, selling a house, doing some investing, whatever that looks like, look at somebody like Tom and give him a call and have him do an inspection on your house. In the meantime, uh, hopefully you learned something from this, but we'll be back with another podcast one of these days soon. Take care of yourself. Be happy and uh, keep your chin up because recessions and depressions are temporary. So whatever we're up against here will go away and uh, we'll all come out on top. We'll look forward to seeing you there. Have a nice evening. Thank you for listening to the Secret Sauce for Success show, where we find the secret ingredients for success. We all want to be successful in life, so let's break down the steps it takes to get there and learn from other people's journeys. We hope that through the stories you hear on our show, you will find success in your life.